When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Weekend number two of the 2020-21 Premier League season and some big games to get through here on Football Social Daily. We are the only daily Premier League podcast you can find with new shows every single day of the football season. And today we'll be previewing all the weekend's top flight matches. Manchester United kick off their campaign at home to Crystal Palace, but the fans want to see more fresh faces through the door at Old Trafford. Everton could build on their increasing momentum from last week as they take on newly promoted West Brom. A buoyant Arsenal will be hoping to pile the misery onto West Ham. And Chelsea, they've been tipped as title contenders by some. They come up against the reigning Premier League champions Liverpool in arguably the game of the weekend. I'm Niall. Alongside me to preview all the action, we have Michelle Owen. Hi, Michelle. Hello. And Jay Motti's here as well. Hi, Jay. Hi, guys. You okay? Yeah, all good. Thanks, mate. Right, let's not waste any more time. Let's kick off with the... The big game of the weekend, at least the flagship game of the weekend, in my opinion, and that's Chelsea versus Liverpool. It's a 4.30pm kickoff on Sunday. Uh, some people have tipped Chelsea as title contenders, Michelle, as I just said. But is this the real test, this second game of the season against the reigning champions, who have just signed Thiago, by the way, mm. to see if they do have the potential to, to knock around there in the top two and three with the big boys? Massively. And if you look at uh, Liverpool last week, then you can definitely, definitely get at them. You know, they conceded those three goals against uh, Leeds last week. Uh, I thought Chelsea, I know they did concede against Brighton, but I thought they were really impressive. Um, love the look of Rhys James again. I saw him play on loan a few times. His goal was was absolutely unreal. I think if they can mm. do anything this weekend, obviously it's a massive statement of intent. It's really early days. Um, but I think it's, it's a massive game for both sides. I, I still fancy Liverpool, but I do think Chelsea have done some really good business. A lot of business. But they've done some some good business and um, Timo Werner looked okay and Kai Havertz was pretty solid Mm. last week. So I don't see them going for the title, if I'm honest. But um, they've got some gelling to do. And perhaps if they did spring a surprise this weekend, because I think it would be a surprise, then maybe, maybe I'd change my mind. Yeah, I think that there is a risk when you do bring in new players that there's a possibility you bring in too much new blood. And I guess that would be my question to you, Jay. I mean, is there a chance that it could backfire? I don't want to put Chelsea and Fulham in the same boat. But if you look, for instance, from a relegation perspective, two seasons ago, Fulham made £100 million worth of sign-ins, brought in almost too much new talent and they didn't gel and it didn't work for them on the pitch. I'm not saying that's going to happen for Chelsea because obviously the quality and calibre of player is totally different. But is there always a concern from a fan's perspective that you could bring in perhaps too much new blood and it could backfire on you? Yeah, I mean, there's a concern as well. It can take a while for everyone to gel. I mean, you look at the amount of players that Chelsea have brought in. I've lost count. Is it, what, is it five or six players they've brought in? And big players as well, players that will be starting more or less week in, week out. I think the only one you might argue a little bit about is Thiago Silva, how often he'll start. But the rest of them will probably consider themselves first team players so it might take a little while for them all to get to you know get to know each other and to sort of get that rhythm and things like that I mean they, they picked up three points in opening, on their opening game but they weren't that convincing I didn't think I think it was a sort of a, a decent win but not a, an emphatic one 
So, yeah, there is that worry. But I think Chelsea might have a chance at the title this season. I know that sounds crackers because, you know, they did finish fourth last season and we know how strong Liverpool and obviously Manchester City are as well. But I think the amount of quality they've brought in, it could have a real effect. And also, I think that, you know, Chelsea have this habit of every sort of five or six years since Abramovich has come in, they win the title when you'd least expect them to. You know, they're bringing Conte, they're bringing Ancelotti, Mourinho goes back there and, and they sort of they surprise everyone. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the title conversation and this, this weekend will be a good chance to see how far off they are. Yeah, I certainly feel that those people that are giving Chelsea a shot at the title um, will probably still be pleasantly surprised in themselves if it does actually come off. It does feel a little bit more in hope than expectation. Um, but they are coming up, Michelle, against the Liverpool side who were given a bit of a scare by Leeds United last week. They conceded three goals. They did end up winning the game by four goals to three. Is there anything that that Chelsea can take from that Leeds performance at Anfield last week and kind of bring it into this weekend's game? Absolutely. You, you can bet that Frank Lampard and his coaching staff have spent the week watching those goals back, watching where the weaknesses were. Uncharacteristic error from Virgil van Dijk. Um, has he got it out of his, his system? I don't know. But Patrick Bamford was basically gifted that goal, wasn't he, for Leeds? Um, but then again, mm. you look at... Staller and how good he was. It's just, how do you contain the, the front three? But yeah, Liverpool looked a little bit suspect at the back a few times and, and I've no doubt that they'll have been going over and over that and that analysts would have looked where those weaknesses were. Not just the obvious errors, but to concede three goals from, with respect, Leeds, a team that came up from the Championship, that is a concern for Klopp. He's got to be worried about that. And Frank Lampard and, and his coaching staff and his players will, will make sure what Leeds did they'll be looking to do as well mm. because they weren't far off last week at all. No, certainly. Do you think Jurgen Klopp will be concerned as well, Jay? Um, uh, and also, you know, is this the real kind of, te- in, in terms of Chelsea, is this the real statement, the marker that they can lay down and they can say, right, OK, we we are here to compete? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Chelsea, big game for them. If they do get a result, then yeah, that lets everyone know they're in it. And Liverpool as well there, the teams to beat now, they are the champions. And also, you look back at the, sort of the end of last season, I know it's different when you, you, you win the title. That you know It's difficult to keep that momentum going, that attitude going. But their sort of form towards the sort of the last quarter of the season, if you will, wasn't anywhere near the first three quarters. You know, they, they obviously they just started dropping points that they weren't doing at the beginning of the season. They were just beating everyone. So you could look at it and say, OK, the back end of last season wasn't great. Opening day against Leeds, they had you know, a couple of uh, errors that were uncharacteristic, as Michelle was saying. So you must sort of put that all to bed and show that you are the champions. You're back in the your routine and you, you know, you, there's, there's not a problem there. You've not sort of fallen off the pace a little bit or lowered your standards a little bit and your expectations. And I know that you, obviously you, know, you don't expect him to play, but the new signing of Thiago Alcantara, that just should give everyone a lift. I saw someone, um, one of my, mm. my pals, he's a distant pal, obviously, because he's a Liverpool fan, but he was tweeting that this is the, <laughs> the first time in his lifetime Liverpool have bought a player, a world-class player at his peak. Like, that's the first time they've actually gone out. Not, you know, where they've got like other quality players who've sort of become better and better, but a 29-year-old who's world-class going into that team in that midfield, eventually, obviously, you know, it's got to give everyone a lift and, and sort of, you know, keep everyone on the toes a little bit as well because you need that freshening up of a squad mm. when you are the champions. You know, Master, Sir Alex Ferguson was the master of that, of, of adding players when we were on top 
and, and that's what Liverpool have, have done in Thiago Alcantara and I'm, I'm actually a little bit jealous they bought him to be honest. <laughs> well let's turn that jealousy into a discussion about Manchester United who kick off their Premier League campaign this weekend on Saturday at 5.30 against Crystal Palace who travel from London to Old Trafford. Now United have qualified for the Champions League but of course only really Donny van der Beek has been the, uh, the freshest face through the door. They've missed out if you could use that term, on Gareth Bale and Sergio Reguilon in pursuit of Jadon Sancho. Um, they, they've kind of decided to put all their eggs in the Sancho basket. It does all feel a little bit desperate as well, to be fair, Jay. And I know that's just a classic social media overreaction, but I imagine it goes for all United fans that you finished third last season, but you're seeing teams around you adding some quality talent and you want your club to do the same. Oh, 100%. You know, you look at, we finished third, but what, we were level on points, I think, with Chelsea, who've gone out and spent £200 million, or whatever it is, on half a new team. <laughs> you know, we finished 33 points below Liverpool, who've gone out and got a world-class midfielder, um, as I've just mentioned. And then City have obviously added as well. They've spent money, they've improved their defence especially. So, you know, we, we're not going to catch these teams up or stay ahead of Chelsea by not strengthening as much as they are. And we've not done I like Donny van der Beek, and he's a good signing. But you don't look at it and think, oh yeah, if you're bringing Van Bay finishing third and 33 points behind Liverpool to be in contenders or title challenges. And I actually think it's going to be harder to finish the top three this season than it was last season for United. I know we'll have Bruno for a full season mm-hmm. and Pogba, and we missed those two. We didn't have Pogba for practically two-thirds of the season. We didn't have Bruno until the end of January. And also Anthony Martial mm-hmm. and Marcus Rashford missed chunks of the season. But we need strengthening. and It's not a happy camp at the minute, United. And I know some opposition fans may look at it and go, you know, what are you moaning about? You finished third, you've just bought a forty million pound midfielder. But you know, you know, we're Manchester United fans, we expect even post Fergie to be challenging for titles or challenging for honours, if not titles, challenging for trophies at least. And losing three semi finals last year it wasn't great. And to see sort of as I said earlier, it's other teams strengthening and we're just, you know, dragging our heels and going back and forth over this Sancho deal that just seems like a real saga. It's not what you want to see. You want to see your business done early, get the players in and get ready for the new season. And you know, I have a fear that We'll be sat here on October the 4th talking about Josh King coming or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to happen though, Jay? Uh, I mean, it sounds sounds like you've learned your lesson uh, from previous pursuits, you know, ending up with Odin Agarlo, bless him, on the final day of the last transfer window. Even though he was excellent for United, you've got to give him his credit. Um, it does feel like, you know, it's going to get to the the end of the transfer window and there will be no sign of Jadon Sancho. I mean, w- would you agree with that? Do you feel like that as a United fan? I've been saying for weeks I don't think Jadon Sancho is going to happen. Most people think I well, did think I was wrong. I think the this, this sort of the attitude and the mood is shifting slightly. People are beginning to see that Dortmund aren't going to change their mind. They're not going to accept any instalments. They've said 120 million euros, whatever it is, and they're sticking to that. And I think it's got to the now it might even be to the point of no return where Dortmund are saying, you know what, forget this season. If you want him, it's next summer. Um, and that, you know, if United don't hurry up and either force Dortmund's hand with the offer that they want or start looking at alternatives. We are going to be scrapping around on transfer deadline day. And whenever that's happened in the past for Manchester United, yes, Odi Nogalo was a breath of fresh air and you know he's, he's a really likeable guy who obviously you know, he, he scored a few goals in Europe, but you know, Odi Nogalo on the final date isn't a signing that you really plan for. You go back a few years to the summer where on deadline day it was Marouan Fellaini. These sounding or felt like sort of desperate signings. You want your business to be done a little bit early. And Jadon Sancho has been linked with United all summer. We know that he would come if we paid the money. And for a club the size of Manchester United, to only make one sign in the summer and to waste all our transfer window chasing one we don't get, it's just not good enough. And I can understand why the fans are getting a bit 
you know, upset to say the least. Mm, Crystal Palace fans have also had their concerns about their transfer policy, Michelle, but they've invested in uh, a bit of youth so far, which is definitely what Roy Hodgson was asking for, even though he's the oldest manager in the Premier League. <laughs> Crystal Palace have one of the oldest squads in the Premier League, but they have brought in Eberé Eze and Nathan Ferguson from QPR and uh, West Brom, respectively. Um, they do have injury problems. So, I mean, apart from adding that little bit of zest to the front line with those young players, what, what do you think the ambition should be this season for Crystal Palace? Because is just staying up good enough now? They seem to be an established Premier League side. So you'd think the fans might be hoping for a bit more this year. Yeah, but I can't see Crystal Palace challenging for even a Europa League place, if I'm honest. You know, at the moment, I think their injuries, they've got Gary Cahill out, James Tompkins, Patrick Van Arnholt, all really experienced. For them to get um, a breach is a, is, a, is a massive is a massive coup for them, I think. They've done really well. That's a brilliant bit of business. Seen him play a few times for QPR. Really, really impressed with him. I saw mm. him on loan at Wickham as well. I just thought, oh, he's too, with respect to Wickham at that point, he's too good for him. Uh, so, yeah, now joining Crystal Palace is fantastic for him. But I think he could have a great season and... and with respect to Palace, push on from there. But they had that good win over Southampton. I think that's the sort of mini-league they're in. You know, Southampton, Brighton, West Ham, Mm. Villa. That sort of mid-table league is what I'd expect this season. Just look at what we have so far. It's so hard to predict. Um, But I'm I'm not sure. it's yeah. it's for me. I mean, Wilfred it's too Zaha, early, Michelle, isn't it? It's too, it's too early. And Wilfred Zaha as well, what's going to happen with him, that will have a big impact. Yeah, I totally agree. Crystal Palace will obviously um, fancy themselves against Manchester United because in recent years, they have managed to pull the odd result against United out of the bag. Uh, whether that will be the case on Saturday at 5.30, we'll have to wait and see. Right, time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. But afterwards, we'll be putting a London derby through its paces as Arsenal take on West Ham. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Jay and Michelle alongside me to pick apart the previews for this weekend's Premier League action. And we're going to look ahead to Saturday's evening kickoff. This one starts at 8pm at the Emirates Stadium. It's Arsenal against West Ham United. Now, let's focus on West Ham before we take a look at the Gunners, Jay. I mean, West Ham, they seem all over the place at the moment. I would say that they feel a little bit in disarray. Uh, Are they in store for a similar season as they had last year? Have they actually learned any lessons from from last campaign where they barely stayed up in the Premier League by the skin of their teeth. I mean, looking at last week's performance against Newcastle, they were really poor. Yeah, they were really poor and, and you do sort of, if I was a West Ham fan, I would be worried because, I mean, to, to sort of, I wouldn't say roll over and die, but to not put up much of a fight at home against Newcastle in the way that they did. And I thought it was a relatively, you know, almost a comfortable victory. For Newcastle and Newcastle aren't a, t- a team. I know they've made a couple of, of signings who obviously played well and got on the score sheet as well um, in the summer, but they're not a team that you'd expect to come to your ground and give you like you know a sorry time of it. And that's really what happened. And if I was a West Ham fan, you know, I mean, you look at it and you think, just what's the ambition at West Ham? What is happening with that club? You know, you got David Moyes there, and I think as a United fan, I know too well what he can do to you, but. <laughs> I just don't see where where sort of their goals are coming from. I don't know if anyone's up for a fight. You always associate for me whenever I've gone to see sort of West Ham play or you watch them. You, you know, you know you're going to be the least you're going to get is a bit of a, a scrap for want of a better word, where they're going to be up for it and you know ready to sort of give you a, a a fight. But there was none of that. It was almost like they were deflated and they seemed to sort of 
accept their fate against Newcastle. And that's not what you'd expect from the West Ham team. And I just look at it and I think that are they a little bit over reliant on someone like Antonio who can blow a little bit hot and cold? And, and you look at it and you think, who are the leaders? Is Mark Noble, you know, the, the guy that they turn to for a leader? Is he really a leader? Declan Rice. Does that not tell you everything you need to know, though, Jay? Sorry to cut you off, but the fact that you're talking about reliance on Mikhail Antonio, um, and that's no slight on him because he's a good player, but to be kind of West Ham's key man, and especially a couple of seasons after they were promised these fans by the owner that they would move to a new stadium to compete on the European stage, they're barely staying up in the Premier League, and Antonio's their star man. I mean, yeah, that would worry me. It doesn't look like any form of progression. In fact, it just looks like complete regression I mean I know he had a decent season last season I think he got into double figures for the first time um, but I think did four of those goals come in one game as well which sort of tells its own story so yeah when you're looking at it, you're looking at it, they've got on the bench I mean they just seem to have a lot of players who turn up now and again the likes of Felipe Anderson players like that and, and you're thinking you know can you rely on these these players when you are in a relegation fight and it almost looks as though for me I know it's only been one game and it sounds ridiculously melodramatic but it's almost like West Ham are, are, are in a relegation zone or uh, fight already sorry it's almost like it, it's going to be a long hard season for them um, I mean you know I might be wrong they might end up sort of getting results and storming up the table because like I said there's another 37 games to go so it's a bit too soon to write them off but you, you look at the quality of the team look at the squad and, and the manager I will point at the manager as well and go you know for me it just thinks of mediocrity and I think it's going to be a, a, a difficult difficult time for them all. Mm, definitely a grey cloud over the London Stadium at the moment but not so much at Arsenal who have kind of had a rejuvenation since Mikel Arteta came into the club about 10 months ago Michelle Arsenal are going to be so full of confidence especially after their win over Fulham last week their talisman Aubameyang signed a new contract um, they can be excited about the season ahead but I still feel from a personal perspective they might need a couple more additions to really cement themselves as top four contenders yeah they're so reliant on Aubameyang aren't they it's, it's great news for them that he's re-signed 15 goals in his past 16 Premier League London derby, uh, derbies, uh, 12 goals and three assists. It's pre- pretty incredible stats. They rely on him so mm. heavily. Him re-signing, it's been a huge week for, for sort of contracts, extensions, I suppose. He's, like Jack Grealish and Aston Villa, arguably a bigger deal because they need him, you know, like you said, and perhaps they need some reinforcements through the team. But Mikel Arteta's got them playing well. Um, they've won 10 of their past 11 home games against West Ham and competitions so they'll feel pretty confident mm. uh, going into this one and yeah I can't see anything but but an Arsenal win to be honest especially with what we've just said about West Ham yeah I totally agree West Ham have not lost to another Premier League opposition in the Premier League era more times than they have to Arsenal they've lost 31 times to Arsenal in the Premier League era so that game kicks off on Saturday at 8 o'clock. Uh, and now moving on to the Sunday games. Uh, Southampton against Spurs. I like to call it the Gareth Bale derby. Not that I'm a big Gareth Bale fan <laughs> being, a, being a Portsmouth supporter. But anyway, um, let's focus on the home side, Southampton. Do you think, Michelle, that they've left themselves a little bit too short? They've not really made any signings. Um, they've brought in Mohamed Salisu from Real Valladolid. And that's about it, really. And he's not even fit for the game against Tottenham. Mm. Um, Ralph Hasenhurtl blasted his players after the midweek Carabao Cup exit, saying that his players aren't fit enough due to a lack of pre-season. But my <laughs> argument would be that he's had the same length as pre-season as everyone else has. Yeah. That's Ralph Hasenhutl's job and his coach's job to get them fit. And they've all had the same amount of time. And they really, I know like sort of top level 
fitness does go after a week or so. I know that. But he's had just as long as the rest of the Premier League teams. So mm. it's not an excuse. Uh, if they lose Danny Ings, Southampton, I'd be seriously worried for them this season. If they can keep him. Again, very reliant yeah. on him. But I think they're without Nathan Redmond this weekend, um, who can often play a big part. I think he's got an ankle injury. Um you sort of look around Southampton and you mm. look for inspiration and, and at the moment for me Danny Ings is the obvious one but for them coming up against the Spurs side who I put three Spurs players in my fantasy team and I sort of regret it now but I, I watched the All or Nothing <laughs> documentary with Spurs just to move on to them for a moment and you look around that dressing room and there's some real talent I don't quite understand for Mourinho what isn't quite clicking there because that was very much a, a, mm. a biased documentary wasn't it obviously it's not going to it's not going to say bad things when they've got all that access, mm. but um, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm excited for Spurs fans with with what they've done with with Reguilon and and Gareth Bale coming in, but yeah, none of them be there this weekend, will they? So they've um, and they've they they've got to compete in the Europa League this season as well. So he's got to learn how to balance his squad and and games like this. It'll be interesting to see how he rotates. Yeah, Jay, you know what it's like to be part of a club which is managed by Jose Mourinho. Um, I'm sure Manchester United fans are quite glad those Jose days are behind them. But, you know, he pulled out the excuses as well after last week's defeat to Everton. He actually called his players lazy, much like Hasenhurtle saying his players aren't fit. Jose went one step further and called them lazy. So do you think we'll see a reaction against Southampton, particularly with, as Michelle mentions, the club almost... Uh, flying on cloud nine after the re-signing of Bale, even though he's not going to play. Yeah, I mean, it was weird with, with Jose, and, and they might get first season Jose this season, Spurs. That's what you want. I mean, even as a United fan, we got you know a couple of trophies out of him in our first season, um, and it's usually like second or third, third season in particular where he starts going wrong, but it looks like he's sped it up a little bit at Spurs and having all these dramas sort of straight away. Um, and like you say, you know, calling out his players and, and not being happy, and we've seen from that documentary that Michelle mentioned, there's... You know, it's not been a happy camp for a little while there. But listen, you know, you buy someone like Gareth Bale and all that that goes goes with that. And you know, like I mentioned earlier with Liverpool, the Nani signing, you can times that by about ten for Bale to go back to to Spurs. And the players will know that that'll give everyone a lift. You know, it just gives it the sort of a different atmosphere. And you think we've got someone like Gareth Bale coming here, and obviously Sergio Regulon, who United were linked with, and it's got to give you a bit of a sort of that sort of feeling that this the club's moving forward and the team's moving forward because Spurs haven't invested a lot or invested well over the last few years even when they, you know, the season they got to the Champions League final I don't think they didn't make any signings they did that season I think Pochettino sort of more or less did it without bringing anyone in which was a pretty phenomenal mm. achievement so when you are making those signings you see that there's a, some, there's a reason to be sort of excited about it that that should work in you think that someone like Jose Mourinho you know He's got, he's got a point to prove. I, mean, I know he's always got a point to prove, Jose. You could say that about him any day or any season he's, he's managing. But I think really now I think that you know getting sats from Chelsea, getting sats from Manchester United, going to Spurs, it feels like he needs a sort of a renaissance or some or a rejuvenation. He needs to sort of prove himself almost that he is still the Jose Mourinho of old and, and he's still capable of, um, of getting results. And not just getting results, but winning trophies. You know, I don't mean to keep going on about a documentary, but... When you're watching it and you're seeing the fans speaking about, you know, in the FA Cup, how they wanted to win the FA Cup and win a trophy, and how we wanted to win a trophy, then obviously they get knocked out, and you think, oh, it's sort of deflating for them. So I think that with the signings that we've got coming in, the couple of the signings they made, they didn't have a great game uh, against Everton. I thought they were pretty poor, um, and I couldn't understand why. I can't remember the term you used. Was it? It wasn't just lazy, was it? It was like lazy in their chances or something. I can't remember what it was. To do with lack of pressing and things. Yeah, that was it. Lazy pressing. That was it. Sorry, yeah. 
So I think he, he just felt that. But I don't think they created enough as well, you know, for, for the strikers. So this would be the ideal opportunity to do that as well because, you know, no respect to Southampton, a good team, but they're not unbeatable. So I think that Spurs and Jose Mourinho will be looking to sort of get a result there and then get the new signings in and start making it a bit more of a happier camp. And I hope for our sake as well that Tottenham start stringing some wins together because a miserable Mourinho is the last thing that anyone needs at this current time <laughs> in society. Um, let's move on to Everton versus West Brom. Everton beat Tottenham Hotspur obviously last weekend. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti really making a statement over the summer with the signings. Uh, they've started well in their two domestic games so far, winning twice. Uh, is Ancelotti really starting to get the potential of Everton Football Club going now, Michelle, or is it still a little bit too soon to tell? I mean, it's kind of Ancelotti, isn't it? It's it's almost it's almost a bit surreal that he manages Everton, but we're getting used to it now. Um, <laughs> I think they need a bit of character, don't they? You know, you think about who are the characters in that teams. Um, this season, they need sort of players to step up. I think um, Decore signing. Is, is exciting for them. Hamas Rodriguez is, mm. again, is he the Hamas Rodriguez of a few years ago? Is he going to be able to light up the Premier League with the way he, he lit up that Real Madrid team? Um, it's, again, I, I feel it's so difficult to predict anything at the moment. But if Carlo Ancelotti can get, you know, these quality signings ticking and the likes of Moise Keane and uh, Bernard going again, then actually when you say it out loud and you think about who who he's got at his disposal, as well as Anthony Gordon, who I thought played well the other night in the League Cup. Um, Jared Breathwaite looks exciting as well. Uh, he's a centre-back that they got from Carlisle back in January. and So he's actually got some exciting players. It's just, it's just whether he can get it all to gel, which is obviously a puzzle for every single manager. But I definitely fancied him to beat West Brom at the weekend with respect to West Brom. Mm. You know, I think 3-0 probably flattered Leicester last weekend when West Brom played them. But if Everton want to be pushing for sort of top eight, they should be beating West Brom, who I think are really going to struggle this year. Yeah, West Brom have been tipped to go down by most people, actually. I don't think I've seen any predictions suggesting that West Brom are going to stay up, Jay. But Slaven Bilic will probably know that the odds are against them and that will give him a bit of you know, a bit of a pep talk, so to speak, um, to kind of keep West Brom in the in the Premier League. That'll give him a bit of motivation. And he's moved to bring in Branislav Ivanovic, who might be a useful bit of experience for West Brom in their fight to stay above water. Yeah, I mean, that experience will help. But, you know, it's it's going to be extremely difficult, I feel, for West Brom. So, you know, he's going back to the, the Leicester game. And, OK, for the first half it was competitive, but then Leicester just sort of kicked up a gear and obviously got the, the, the 3-0 win. And when you look at the, the players that West Brom have got, and okay, you know, you're bringing in someone like, like you mentioned, who's got experience, but they need a bit more than that. And I just worry with West Brom where the goal's going to come from. And I don't know, I just think that they sort of, it's almost like they came into this, this Premier League season, you know, yeah, you have that sort of lift and everyone's giddy and excited, but it almost felt like last season, towards the end of last season, there wasn't that sort of atmosphere almost. And then you're coming in and almost sort of being a bit fearful and it's like, there's a sort of foreboding sense of doom coming in, coming into it. I might be wrong, but I don't feel like there's a lot of confidence in West Brom, not just from what, from what I've seen from West Brom fans, but everyone else is sort of predicting them to go down. And you can understand why in a way, because I think they just lack that real quality. They've not got the sort of the money and the investment that other clubs have and other teams have. I think they, you know, they do struggle as well with some of the players they've got. I don't think they're at that sort of level you need. So it's going to be a bit of a, a tough one. And 
as Michelle mentioned, you know, Ancelotti at Everton, I'm with her, I think that it does, it still feels a little bit strange to me that he's there, but I think it's exciting and it's great to see him back <laughs> in the Premier League and they've obviously made some, some great signings and, and players that everyone was getting well carried away after the, the win about against Spurs, but I can understand why he was like, oh, Hamas Rodriguez is amazing and all this, and I thought he did okay, I don't think he was amazing, but you look at that and the signings that Everton have made and you look at West Brom and the, 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 resource, the resources they've got and it's like night and day. So I, I think this is going to be a struggle for him. Really no, big. I can't see West Brom staying up either. But, you know, this is the Premier League. We've been proved wrong on many an occasion. I wonder whether that will be the case throughout the course of this season. Don't forget, we will be covering every single Premier League fixture previewed and reviewed on our website, sport-social.co.uk and, of course, via our Amazon Alexa and Google Home Skills. So go and check those out. Time for another quick break here on the podcast, but we'll be back after this with more Premier League action. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily with me, Niall McCorn. Alongside me, we've got Jay Motti and Michelle Owen and still three Premier League games across the weekend to get our teeth stuck into. So let's not beat around the bush and waste any more time. Let's go to St. James's Park when Newcastle United face Brighton on Sunday at two o'clock. Two teams who've actually started the season quite brightly. And I think you could say of Newcastle United, Michelle, that despite the Saudi takeover disappointment, of course, that fell through. It feels like Newcastle fans can actually be a bit more optimistic this season than previous seasons because they've invested, they've performed well on the opening day of the season. Um, uh, Steve Bruce seems to be getting a tune out of those players. It seems that there's a renewed sense of optimism around St. James's, even though that the gloom of that takeover collapse is still kind of lingering. Yeah, and let's not forget that what Steve Bruce did last season, I thought, was was a very good job. When Benitez was keeping them up in the Premier League, he was lauded. Like People loved it. And I actually don't know if Steve Bruce has got enough credit for the job he's doing up there. He's attracted Callum Wilson. He's got Ryan Fraser. And they're going to be leading the attack. Well, I Ryan Fraser might, might be on the bench, I would think, actually. Um, but Jeff Hendrick, Jamal Lewis. It's, uh, it's an exciting time for Newcastle fans. I can... You know, I can understand their frustration with what happened with the Saudi for that. It's a long thing to be getting into, so we won't dive into that. But in terms of what's happening on the pitch, I think there's something to be excited for. I think Steve Bruce is doing a really good job up there, and he's attracting these players as well. Um, I definitely expect to see Newcastle sort of high mid-table this year. But then I think Graham Potter is also doing a great job at Brighton. So it's... Um, it's one of those where there's, there's two managers that I think deserve a lot of credit at the moment for the job they're doing. And I, yeah. I knew Graham Potter a little bit when he was at Swansea. And he's a really forward-thinking manager. You know, to take over after Chris Hewitt was there for five years hmm. um, and the way they adjusted the way they play, it'd be interesting to see what sort of game they do give Newcastle at the weekend. I'll tell you what, I'm not really much of a betting man because of the industry we work in, but um, I still think if I was to have a fiver on the next England manager, you wouldn't be too far amiss to put it on Graham Potter I think he does have a massive potential in the game as a, as a future manager uh, of the national side but obviously that's just my prediction um, his Brighton side of the focus at the moment Jay um, they beat my team Portsmouth by four goals to nil and it was their second string side in the Carabao Cup midweek so that was a bit of a spanking from them to us um, but I certainly think that the style that Graham Potter plays draws a lot of um, 
praise and rightly so but do you think that he can break that barrier for Brighton and actually get them to finish a bit higher up in the table this season because it seems even post Chris Hewton as Michelle mentions it's almost 15th 16th is the best they can aim for really yeah I mean it was a massive sort of culture shift from when it going through Chris Hewton to, to Graham Potter. I think the reason he got rid of Chris Hewton, am I wrong, was because of the style and the, you know they wanted to bring in someone who's a bit more forward thinking and a bit you know plays football a little bit differently and and maybe you could argue the way it should be played. Um, and I think he does that. And it, you know I've I've seen Brighton a few times and I've always been impressed with the, the style of football and the way you play and the, the fact that they often stick to the guns as well in that sort of mentality. And I saw him against Chelsea and I think that you know you saw even there when when Brighton play against one of the bigger teams and they always seem to to have something to offer some teams you know we were talking about sort of Arsenal earlier when they went played Fulham it was just like Fulham roll you know rolled over but you don't see that with with teams like uh, sorry with Brighton they've always got a lot to offer and I think I like I like the, the the football I like the manager and I think they've got some good players as well you know they had a okay you know you look at it and you said they finished 15th last season which wasn't a, a massive improvement on where they usually finish, I think seven points was it above the, the relegation zone. But that's relatively comfortable. And you think when you've gone through that shift as well from going from one style to another, it can take time. And I think if they give Potter time, I think if they give him a sort of a few seasons, you can see that progression because when you haven't got the resources that other t- teams have and you can't go out and spend 40, 50 million pound on players, you know, you do need to nurture a squad. And I think that with Graham Potter, he seems like the manager, sort of manager that if you give him time, that maybe Brian can start doing similar to what Burnley have done, you know, they Burnley have gone from sort of battling relegation to mid-table security to being in the conversation about Europe, and I think that's something that could happen with Brighton going forward with Graham Potter. And I think if they give him time, that that's what you know, that's a, a realistic ambition mm. because he's obviously a, a very talented manager and he's got a, a decent set of players there as well that that could start moving up that 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 club forward up the table. Yeah, just a couple more games to get through. The first, Leeds versus Fulham. That's three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Two of the promoted sides from the Championship last season doing battle. Fulham will obviously want to bounce back from last week. Leeds will be more confident considering the performance they put in against the current champions. Um, uh, how do you see this one going, Michelle? It's, a t- it's I think this is a tough one predict- to, to predict. I think along uh, with Newcastle versus say, Brighton, actually, it's one of the more difficult really games well to call this. of the weekend. Um, uh, they're at Ellen Road, which at the moment I don't think makes a huge difference. If they were at Ellen Road with a the crowd, then I'd really fancy them. But I think they did really well against Liverpool last weekend. I know Liverpool had some mm. errors in there. Um, and it's always hard because it's two promoted teams and you don't really know how they're going to fare. But let's just remember they played that at Anfield. Again, there's no crowd. I, I hear that argument. But they did go to Anfield last week, the Premier League champions, and they gave it a good go. So... Um, yeah, I, f- I fancy leading this one. Um, Fulham, if you, if you sort of look at them as a, th- a threat in the Premier League, they've lost 15 of their last 19 Premier League matches. OK, that, that that's not all this season, obviously. But I just haven't watched Leeds last season, haven't watched Fulham. Yes, they've changed over summer. But I think Leeds will survive in the league this season and I don't think Fulham will. Um, I think Bielsa is a fantastic coach. Nothing against Scott Parker as well. He's doing a great job. But mm. the Leeds United squad and some of the players they have, I mean, you saw a glimpse of it last week. I think Jack Harrison's a terrific player. And when those special players are firing for them, then they really are a force to be reckoned with. So I fancy them. I know they played midweek as well in the Carabao Cup and lost on penalties, but that was a much-changed side. That was more of 
what I would say, yeah, a reserve sort of championship side. And I'd imagine the likes of Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford and Melian mm. will be back. So fancy, fancy leads for this one. Yeah, obviously Patrick Bamford amongst the goals against Liverpool last week, which means that he might even keep the Spain international Rodrigo out of the side uh, for the weekend's game against Fulham. Bielsa, as you say, Michelle made 11 changes for the game midweek, so it looks like we might see 11 changes again for the game uh, at Elland Road. And it's a short trip from Yorkshire to Lancashire, uh, where we'll be going next, where we head to, uh, well, actually, that's a lie. It's uh, it's not at Turf Moor. The game's at the King Power Stadium. Leicester versus Burnley um, is at the King Power, so we're actually not going to Turf Moor. We're going much further south than that. This is a Sunday 7 o'clock kickoff. Um to the Midlands indeed yeah Burnley still desperate for new signings um, but they always seem to stay up regardless so I don't want to focus too much on Sean Dyche we did hear uh, from George from the No Nay Never Burnley podcast earlier on in the week on Football Social Daily so just go and have a check up for that Um, I think it was uh, Thursday's podcast so go and look for that if you want a little bit more of an insight on how Burnley's season might go but from a Leicester point of view Jay Brendan Rodgers has made it abundantly clear he still wants a new creative player. He wants a bit of a playmaker. He says that's the key for them to compete domestically and on the European stage. But my question to you is, considering that you had to play them on the last day of last season and it was kind of a straight shootout for a top four spot, can you see them even finishing in the top six again this year? Or is it going to be a stretch too far? Um, I don't know. It's difficult because they had that amazing run, didn't they? at the beginning of last season where at one point there was even whispers and I I use the term because there were only whispers that they could be involved in the title conversation title challenge conversation and then everything just sort of went wrong and they sort of tailed off badly Um, and as you mentioned you know United went there and and won and and Leicester went from looking nailed on to finish third to dropping out of the top four and it it must have been pretty heartbreaking for them but Yes, you would be slightly concerned, like you say, that Rogers wants to bring in signings and obviously they've lost Chilwell and it's like, you know, they're probably weaker. They could argue they're a little bit weaker than they were last season, which isn't great. But I still think with Leicester as well, injuries have affected them. I think injuries affected them last season. They lost quite a few players. They lost Madison for a big chunk of the season towards the end, which didn't help as well. I think he's a really mm-hmm. talented player. Um, Jamie Vardy, I know it was, um, I think it was, was it two penalties on the, uh, the, the opening day against West Brom, but he still looks lively, still likes he's got something in the tank. I think for the the opening game as well, they had to sort of shift things around. I think indeed he went into defence. I think Evans was missing, I think he's coming back. Um, so that's, the thing with Leicester is, I still think they've got a core of very talented players. I look at the likes of Tillmans, I look at Ndidi, I look at Madison, I look at Vardy, and I think these are quality players, you know, you can maybe go in like Sionsu as well. So unlike some of the other teams, I think as long as you've got that core of, of sort of four or five really good players, then you're in with the, you're in with the shout, and I, I like Brendan Rodgers. I know I shouldn't say this as a United fan because he's an ex-Liverpool manager, but I can see you know you can sort of respect what he does and see that he's, he's a talented manager, and, and the players you know will always give their all for him. So I think they were a little bit unfortunate with some of the injuries they got towards the end of last season. Yes, they need need signings, but I wouldn't count them out just yet because they, let's not forget you know going into last season, no one expected Leicester to have the run they had. Mm. No one thought, oh, come sort of March, Leicester will be in, in third. No one was saying that. I don't even think the most ardent Leicester fans are saying it. And they surprised everyone. I don't think they'll surprise everyone to that level again this season. But I wouldn't count them out just yet for getting into that top four. 
maybe conversation. I don't think they'll make it, but they, may, they might be in, in the mix. Yeah, certainly injuries will be a concern at the back for Leicester this weekend, as you mentioned. Johnny Evans uh, touch and go for the weekend. Wes Morgan's injured, um, and it will look like it does look likely that it will be Wilfred and Didi to uh, to partner um, the other centre half at the back. So it, it does look like it could be a bit of a makeshift makeshift defence. So Leicester versus Burnley is a Sunday evening kickoff at seven pm, and that's actually on free to air TV here in the UK. So it's quite nice to see some Premier League football back on the regular box, even if it is um, Leicester versus Burnley, not the most exciting of games to have picked, but you can't, beggars can't be choosers, as they say. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget, you can come back tomorrow or even hit subscribe to the podcast because every day of the season, we'll be bringing you brand new podcasts with all the latest news, opinion and analysis from the English Premier League. And we'll be picking apart all the weekend's results as well on tomorrow's podcast. So you don't want to miss that. Um, Michelle, thanks for joining us on the podcast. What can the viewers of Suckers Saturday expect later on today when they see you? What ground are you going to be shooting off to? I am off to uh, Reading v Barnsley this afternoon. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. All the changes that have gone over uh, Reading this, this weekend. So, looking forward to it. Three o'clock kickoff. Three o'clock kickoff, Red. Oh, good old Football League action. Nothing beats it. Um, but, I mean, Jay, you're a Man United fan. You might disagree, <laughs> but you'll probably be missing more than anything a trip to Old Trafford. How badly are you missing going to home games and walking up the Chester Road and, uh, you know, taking in your own team's uh, performances? Oh, massively, mate. You know, it's... I know it's the old sort of saying, but football is nothing about fans. And it's been difficult for me. I love going to Old Trafford and season ticket holder. And I have missed it. But, you know, I know all the fans are in the same boat. Everyone wants to get back into the stadium. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game, but I'll be looking forward to a lot more when I can get into the into the ground and uh, get behind the team. Kona chips from Lou Macari's on the way down to the ground. Sounds good to me. <laughs> anyway, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. As I said, don't forget to tune into tomorrow's podcast and all subsequent podcasts throughout the course of the season. Uh, my name's Niall. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official.